come to the final of Jesus' I Am statements. And we've discovered through this series a lot about who Jesus is, what He came to do. And, and we've learned all of this through Jesus Himself. These are the things that He said about Himself. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice with all of these, Jesus is the light, the gate, the way, the truth, the resurrection, and the life. And Jesus is the vine, the only vine, the true vine. Look at John 15, verse 1. If you've not already turned in your Bibles, please do. We're going to be here in John 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Now, if Jesus is the true vine, then doesn't that hold that there must also be a false vine? Right? There must be a false vine. Think about last week. Jesus contrasted Himself with the manna that came down from heaven to physically feed the Israelites in the wilderness, and Jesus said that He was the true bread meaning that the manna was not the true spiritual food. It was a foreshadowing that pointed to Jesus, the true bread of life. So what then might be the false vine? Well, let's first consider what maybe prompted Jesus to even use this vine, branch, fruit analogy. If you remember, a lot of these I Am statements were prompted by things in the Old Testament, things in Jewish faith and in culture, Psalm 23 obviously paved the way for Jesus' expression of being the good shepherd and the gate of the sheep. Uh, the elements of water and light. Remember when we looked at the at Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, how the, these elements at the Feast of Tabernacles were connected to that. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000 was the prelude to Jesus saying He was the bread of life. And He referenced the manna in the wilderness as well. Before raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus said that He was the resurrection and the life. And then when we talked about the way, truth, and the life, we looked at the Jewish betrothal vows as the pattern for what Jesus was saying there. Well, multiple times in the Old Testament, as we heard in our Old Testament reading this morning, the nation of Israel was compared to a vine. A vine in God's vineyard. A vine that God lovingly planted and tenderly cared for. But instead of producing good fruit, it yielded worthless grapes. Now, according to Josephus, Herod, on, when he redid the temple, he decorated it with a golden vine, an enormous golden vine with a cluster of grapes as large as a man. So this symbolism of the vine was part of the, the national pride for the Jewish people. And, and grapevines were frequent motifs in synagogues and other buildings. That's a picture I took at the synagogue in Capernaum. And you can see there on those ruins the vine, the bunches of grapes. This was a common Motif. So imagine Jesus and His disciples leaving the upper room, making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane on the night He was to be betrayed, and they walk past the temple, glowing at night with the fire from the evening sacrifice, and Jesus points to that giant golden vine with grapes on it and says, I am the true vine, contrasting Himself with the nation of Israel itself. Now, several times in John, Jesus describes Himself as the fulfillment of the Torah. 
and the temple. He is now the embodiment of God on earth. The Torah pointed to Him. He is the means of salvation. And now Jesus is saying that He is the way into the fold of God. You don't go through a nation to get to God. You go through a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. You don't have to become a Jew to be a citizen of heaven. You have to become a follower of Jesus Christ. These things are shadows that point to Jesus He is the reality. He is the fulfillment. Jesus is God's true vine, and the only way to appease the vine dresser is to be a part of the vine. So in John 15, 1 through 17, we're going to find several repeated words and phrases, uh, but the most repeated is the Greek word meno, M-E-N-O, meno. It's found 11 times, and it means to continue, to dwell, to remain in union with, to abide. Now, most modern translations in this passage will use the word remain. The Christian standard I'm using this morning uses that word. It's not my favorite translation of this, uh, that word, because remain just seems a little passive. It's like sit, stay, good dog. You know, just just remain, don't move. Uh, The King James Version uses, I think, a more proactive word, and that's abide. I like that word abide, you know, but that's not a word we use very often. So in, in my sermon, I want to use another active word, a more modern word that, that we kind of use more than any of these, and that's the word connected. Think about, you know, we, we talk about internet connection. We, we talk about our cell phones connection. We, we talk about connecting flights or wanting to reconnect with a friend. We even have a connect card on our order of worship. So we like this word connect because connection speaks of relationship, communication, belonging, involvement. That's what Jesus is saying of Himself and our relationship with Him. If we are to be His disciples, we must be and remain connected with Jesus. Now, Jesus divides this teaching into two sections. The first goes heavy on this vine branch fruit analogy. The second, He gets a little more direct with, with what this means, all right? So we're going to look at this in two sections. I'm going to give an overview of both, and then we're going to look at some specifics. So let's look at John 15, verses 1 through 8. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, He removes. And He prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me. And I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, And my words remain in you. Ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So the first thing we see in these eight verses is that connection with the vine empowers us by the very life of Jesus. Connection with the vine empowers us with the life of Jesus. So the picture is one of a vineyard and a vine, and Jesus 
is the vine. We, the true disciples of Jesus, are the branches connected to the vine. People who are without Christ are these dead, dry branches laying on the ground. And God the Father is the gardener who's lovingly tending to the vine and its branches so that it will produce more fruit, fruit that will last. Now, in Colossians 2.7, Paul leans on this, and he describes Christians as being rooted and built up in Christ. So, in other words, to be alive in Christ is to be rooted in Him. It's to have the, the, the life, the power, the energy of Jesus flowing through us, right? So, the sap that runs through the vine now runs through us, through our veins. We think back to these I am statements. Notice how many of them contain the word life. Jesus said that He is the way, the truth, and the life. That He is the resurrection and the life. That He is the bread of life. He is our source of life, energy, power, which is why in verse 5 he says that without Him we can do nothing. And I like that verse, even though it kind of seems negative, because it, it, it helps us to see this idea of abiding and remaining in Jesus isn't just some passive thing. It isn't just some mystical, emotional thing. It's practical. It's impactful. It's not just about a decision you once made back in the day. It's about a daily decision to remain in, to be connected with Jesus. He's saying, if you're a true disciple, you're connected to me. We are one body, so abide, dwell, live in me, stay connected to me, get your life and strength from me. Because a branch is only alive if the sap of the trunk is flowing through it. And without that, without the water and the nutrients that that carries, the branch will wither and die. When we trust in and belong to Jesus, His life flows through us. It nurtures us. It sustains us. Which is why Paul says things like that we are made alive in Christ, that in Him we become new creations. The indwelling Holy Spirit gives us everything that we need to worship, love, serve, and trust Jesus. It's by the Holy Spirit that we have what we need to tell others about Jesus and to minister to others in His name. So if you're a Christian, if Jesus is your good shepherd, then the life of Jesus is flowing through you. Now some people claim to be connected to the vine, but really they're connected to a false vine. The vine of their own good works. The vine of putting their trust in religion or money or power. They think and claim to belong to Jesus, but the lack of fruit in their life shows otherwise. Maybe they walked an aisle and got wet in a baptistry, but they never really gave their heart and life to Jesus Christ. Maybe they were raised in a Christian home and they think that's enough. Their name's on a church roll, they think that's enough. Maybe they're like those who heard Jesus' teachings and said, this is too hard to swallow and walked away because they never really belonged to God's flock in the first place. Ezekiel 15 is a very similar passage to what we heard in Isaiah. And in that, Ezekiel says, if a branch isn't good for fruit, it's only got one other use. And that's for fuel in the fire. You're either good for fruit or you're good for fuel in the fire. And God brings judgment on Jerusalem for their unfaithfulness and their fruitlessness, and He declares that He's going to give them over as fuel to the fire. Listen, if you try to connect to anyone or anything other than Jesus for salvation and life, then you aren't connected to Jesus. 
And you're a branch lying on the ground, cut off from the giver of life, and there's a judgment day coming. If you aren't connected to the vine, you are destined for the fire. If you're not producing fruit, you're not really living. You're not here for the reason God put you to be here. You're not living if you're not abiding in Christ. So why waste your life on things that perish? when you can invest yourself in fruit that lasts, that has eternal impact. If you're not connected to the vine, you don't belong to Jesus. And I pray that you will change that today. Jesus this morning wants you to connect with Him. He wants to live in you. He wants you to live in Him. And when we get to our invitation later today, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I pray that today is the day that you get connected to the giver of life. So just as connection with the vine empowers us with the life of Jesus flowing through us, the second half of this passage tells us the connection with the vine motivates us with the love of Christ. So we're empowered by the life of Christ. We're motivated by the love of Christ. Let's look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything I've heard from my father. You did not choose me. But I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name will be given to you. This is what I command. Love one another. Now, remember Colossians, Paul said that we were rooted and established in Christ. Well, in Ephesians 2.17, he says that we are rooted and firmly established in love. So we're rooted in Christ... And the life-giving power of His Spirit flows through us. We're rooted in love. So Christ's life is our power. It's how we do what we do. Christ's love is our motive. It's why we do what we do. In the first eight verses, we are branches in the vine. In these last eight verses, we are friends of Jesus. And friends have to stay connected to keep their friendship healthy and growing, don't they? You ever been disconnected from a friend? You grow apart, right? You don't stay in touch with them. You grow apart. You might, in your mind, think we're friends, but the the elements of friendship really aren't there. Maybe this morning you'd ask yourself, am I meeting the Lord daily and spending time with Him? How often do you thank Him for His blessings? Do you regularly confess your sins to Him and strive to keep that relationship healthy? Are you involving Jesus in your decision-making on a daily basis? Those are some practical ways that we can abide, that we can dwell in and stay connected to Jesus. How connected to Jesus are you this morning? How would you describe your friendship with Jesus? You know, it's an amazing thing to think about having a friendship with the Creator God with the one by whom and for whom all things were made, who holds all things together. Isn't that kind of mind-blowing to think that we can have God as our friend? Isn't it? 
You know what's even more mind-blowing? To think that God would consider us His friend. I mean, it's one thing to sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. But what a friend Jesus has in me? Really? You know, in the Old Testament, only two people were ever called the friend of God. Abraham and Moses. And it's because they had an unprecedented access and insight into the mind and will of God. As Jesus said, a master tells his servants what he wants them to do and they obey out of fear. But a friend reveals his plans, his dreams, his motives, his hopes. And we join with our friends as partners to accomplish their plan, to reach for that goal, to make that dream a reality. That's why Jesus said He calls us His friends because He's made known to us what the Father has revealed to Him. In other words, Jesus has let us in on the secret. We're insiders on the mystery of the gospel. Jesus reveals to us the heart and mind of the Father, showing us His purpose and His plan. And as friends of Jesus, we should obey Him. We should want to partner with Him. We should want to help those plans become a reality. It's not that obedience makes us friends of Jesus. Rather, it's obedience that characterizes us as friends with Jesus. D.A. Carson, in his commentary on John, wrote this, Slaves are simply told what to do, while Jesus' friends are informed of His thinking. Enjoy His confidence and learn to obey with a sense of privilege and with full understanding of their master's heart. We have the life of Jesus to empower us. We have the love of Jesus as his friends to motivate us. But how do we stay connected to the vine? Let's get a little more practical here. How do we do this? How do we remain in Jesus? He gives us a few ways. The first is the Word of Christ. The Word of Christ. If you look at verse 3... He says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. In verse 7, remain in me and my words remain in you. And then in verse 15, he tells us, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything I have heard from my Father. Like with any friendship, communication is a key. Communication is the key to our relationship with Jesus. And there's a two-way of communication, Right? Communication has to go both ways. Well, the, the one way, the key way we communicate, for God communicates with us, is through His Word. Jesus reveals to us God's mind, God's way, God's plan, and He does that, he does that through the gift of His Word, the Bible. And Jesus here reveals to us two ways in which the Word of God helps us stay connected to Him. In verse 3, we learn that the Word prunes us or cleanses us. The word prunes or cleanses us. Now, this Greek word for prune is only found here in the New Testament and nowhere else. And it's actually from the word in verse 3 that means clean. Those words are, are very closely related. Prune is the Greek word kathiro, and it means to cut away, to make clear, to prune. Katharos, and you think about our word cathartic. If you have a cathartic experience, what? You're sort of getting stuff off your chest. You're sort of cleaning up your soul. Katharos means clean, pure. Now, this makes sense when you think about it because if you prune a bush, a tree, a vegetable plant, what are you doing? You're cleaning it up, right? 
You're taking away the clutter. You're removing the dead and worthless parts of it. Um, my dad, he, he, he grew um, uh, his squash and zucchini a unique way this year. He grew them up a trellis, and he would prune the lower leaves away. And it would help put more focus into the fruit that was growing. It would keep the bugs away, keep disease away, and it would make it easier to see and pick, which is always a good thing when you're working in a garden. Those of you that ever grow tomatoes, you have these little things that come up in the branches called suckers. And what do you do with those suckers? You pinch them off. Why? Because you want to shape the way that plant's going to grow. You want to focus the growth where the tomatoes are going to be growing on that vine. You want to clear things out that would be a a home for disease and, and for pests. So when God prunes our lives, that's what He's doing. He's cleaning house. He's getting rid of the junk in our lives. He's pulling out the weeds. He's pruning back what's unfruitful. He's helping us focus on what really matters. And guess what? If you're the plant, it's not pleasant, is it? But God does whatever He needs to do to help us bear more fruit. God will not rest until we're more fruitful for the kingdom. As one commentary put it about this passage, it said, God is ruthlessly determined to shape you into something much better and more beautiful than you are right now. He's determined to make you more like His Son, Jesus. And the only way that will happen is through cutting away the parts that are dying so you can grow more and more healthy. God's commitment to your fruit-bearing is greater than your commitment to comfort. God will do whatever it takes for you to bear fruit. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? No discipline, no pruning seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. But later on, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's God's goal for you. The Father's pruning is always motivated by love. Its purpose is always to make us more fruitful. Pastor Kent Hughes hopefully points out here, God's hand is never closer than when He prunes the vine. Think about that. When you're pruning a tomato plant, your hands are there on it and in it. God's hands are never closer to you than when He's pruning the vine. During these times of severest cutting, when to us he may seem to have departed, he's actually the closest. That's a, that's a good perspective to have. And when God does use hardships in our life, when he does discipline us, it's his word that takes those difficulties and transforms them into his mercy so that, as James says, we can count it all joy because we know what God is producing in our life through these difficulties. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. God's Word prunes us. But secondly, God's Word reveals truth to us. Jesus said that it's on the basis of His revealed Word remaining in us. That's how we are friends with Jesus. Earlier in John, Jesus said that if we know and see Him, we know and see the Father. That He never said anything that didn't come from the Father. And then He says He sends us His Spirit to remind us of all that Jesus said. In John 14, He says, I've spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. God's Word prunes us and it reveals and reminds us of God's truth for us. 
But there's another part of communication too, right? It's not just God talking to us, it's us talking to God. So here Jesus also, twice in the next to last verse of each of these two sections, He focuses on prayer. Prayer through Christ is one way we remain connected with Christ. That just kind of makes sense, right? Jesus' words empower our prayer as His friends, as those chosen and appointed by Him to bear fruit. If we pray according to that purpose, if, if our prayers are shaped and motivated by this idea of bearing more fruit, much fruit, fruit that remains, Jesus says that God will hear and answer our prayers. We're going to talk more about prayer later on because prayer is both a means of staying connected to Jesus, but it's also an outcome of staying connected to Jesus. So we'll talk about that more. And then the third thing he says is obedience to Christ. We see this in verse 10, verses 12 through 14, verse 17. He keeps talking about obeying Him. Now, if you remember back in John 8, Jesus issues that well-known statement where He says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We love that verse, but as I've said before, we tend to forget the first verse before that where he says, if you continue in my word, you will really be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. To continue in his word means to obey what it says, to live it out. So knowing the truth and living in freedom is based on our obedience to what Christ has said to us. Now Jesus talks about this often in the Gospel of John, this connection between our obedience and our experience of the fullness of his presence and His peace and His joy. And so this idea of obedience to Christ ties right in to the last part here, that is love of Christ. The love and the obedience are two sides of the same coin. Now, it isn't that, it isn't that Christ's love is conditional on our obedience. Jesus isn't saying that if you don't obey me, I'm not going to love you and, and you can't be my friend. Rather, what He's saying is that our obedience is a response to Christ's love. Our obedience is a sign that we are His friends. And He says to us that we must remain in His love. We must stay connected to His love. Now think about children. If children really love their parents, they should want to obey them. Right, moms and dads? Come on, right? Parents, if your children love you, they should, not that they always do, but they should want to. They should want to obey you and honor you and please you. Right? Kids, that's what you're supposed to do. If you're an employee, a soldier, a player on a team, a student, if you love your boss, if you love your commanding officer, if you love your coach, if you love your teacher, you should want to do what they say. That's part of loving someone. And, Jesus, and John says in 1 John 2, 3-6, he says, this is how we know that we know Him, if we keep His commands. The one who says, I have come to know Him and yet doesn't keep His commands is a liar and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word truly in Him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in Him. That idea of connection, of remaining in Him. The one who says He remains in Him should walk just as He walked. If we're going to say we're connected to Jesus, when people look at us, it should be evident. We should walk as He walked. We are to remain in His love, but secondly, we are to reflect His love. A big part of loving Jesus and walking just as He walked and obeying His commands, a big part of that is how we love others, particularly our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, there's one specific command here in John 15 Jesus keeps repeating. 
And that's love one another as I have loved you. And that itself is a repeat of what he said earlier that night in the upper room when he said, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And then he says, by this everyone will know you are my disciples. We heard the choir sing about this earlier. How will the world know that we belong to Jesus? Because we love one another. Obedience is connected to our love for Jesus and our love for Jesus is connected to how we love other people. Think about that. Again, in John, 1 John 4, in, in, in 1 John, he, he pulls a lot from what Jesus says here in John 15. John writes, We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, again, he says, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from Him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. If we want to stay connected with Jesus as our source of life, if we want to be motivated by His love, we need to be in the Word. We need to be in prayer. We need to obey Jesus' commands out of love, and we need to love other people the way Jesus loved us. That's how we stay connected to the vine. Those ways right there. Simple. Spend time in the Word and in prayer. Obey Jesus out of love and love other people as Jesus has loved you. Simple. Not easy to do, but it's simple. Now, what are the outcomes? If we do that, if we stay connected to the vine, Jesus gives us some promises of what will be produced in us. And the first, of course, is lasting fruit. Fruit is repeated throughout this, right? We've not really talked about the fruit. Okay, remember the word remain is mentioned 11 times. It's the most important topic in this passage. Love is mentioned eight, nine times, and fruit is mentioned eight times. So the fruit isn't the main point this passage is about. It's not the most important thing, but it's the main goal. It's the main outcome of the idea of remaining in the true vine and in the love of Jesus. Think about the progression in this passage. He talked about the branch's purpose to bear fruit. More fruit. Much fruit. Fruit that remains. It, it just keeps getting fuller and fuller and fuller of fruit as we go through this passage. Fruit bearing is the reason we're here. That's why we're branches. If we're not bearing fruit. God, Jesus says you're not good for anything but the fire. And fruit bearing is a direct result of praying in Jesus' name and having His Word remain in us and obeying Jesus in friendship and love. But what is the fruit? Jesus doesn't really tell us here what the fruit is. We have to look at other places in the Bible. I'm not going to read these passages, obviously, but they're in your your notes. I pray you would go look at them. But we read from these passages that fruit is righteousness and justice. Galatians 5 tells us that fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these are the character qualities of Christ. So just being Christ-like is a fruit. In Romans 1.13 and in John 4.34-38, fruit is bringing more disciples into the kingdom. It's sharing our faith and winning people to Christ. It's fulfilling the Great Commission is fruit. When you win someone to Jesus, when you help someone grow in their faith, you're bearing fruit. Romans 6.22 says that fruit is holiness that comes through the Spirit's sanctifying work in our lives. Hebrews 13.15, worship is the fruit of our lips. Colossians 1.10, every good work we do that pleases God is fruit. In other words, if you've got the life and love of Jesus flowing through you, 
then what are you going to produce in your life? Jesus-y things. Good works that glorify God. Worship and praise. Holiness. Christ-like characteristics. Justice and faithfulness. And bringing more people into the kingdom. That's the natural outflow of someone who's connected to the vine. Does that make sense? And that's not something you can do on your own, by your own ingenious plans or just trying harder. No, the work that we do, the character qualities we display, the holiness that we need, the praise that we offer, the disciples that we make, it is Christ by His Spirit doing those things through us. If we're relying on ourselves, it may look like fruit. Listen, people that aren't even Christians can do things that look like fruit. But it's like the fake grapes that we staple onto the vines of the drive through nativity. From a distance at night with the pretty amber light shining on it, they look pretty good. But get up close and you see they're fake. There's a lot of people that have fake fruit in their lives. Our self-righteous fake fruit does not glorify God, doesn't please God, and it cannot further the gospel. Which is why Paul says in Philippians 2.13 that it is God who's working in us both to will and to work according to His good purpose because we're connected to the vine. If our work doesn't begin with Christ, if it isn't sustained by Christ, if it doesn't end with glory for Christ, it is not fruit that remains and therefore it will not result in the second outcome and that is glory to the Father. In verse 8, look what, look what Jesus says. He says, My Father is glorified by this that you produce much fruit. Have you ever considered how your obedience and fruit bearing lies at the heart of how Jesus brings glory to the Father? Think about that. Jesus' love for us reflects the Father's love for Jesus, right? And so our love for others is to reflect Jesus' love for us. Well, in the same way, Our obedience to Christ is to be a reflection of His obedience to the Father. So when we're not obeying Christ, when we're not connected to the vine, when we're not bearing fruit, not only are we dragging Jesus' name through the mud, we're denying the Father the glory that He is due. As D.A. Carson explained it, fruitfulness not only threatens fire for us, but robs God of glory rightly His. When we bear fruit and we're connected to the vine, we will glorify God and we will experience for ourselves complete joy. Look at verse 11. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So just as we're tempted sometimes to staple fake fruit onto our lives to make ourselves look better than we really are, we also can be tempted by fake joy, by the happiness that this world offers us, which will always disappoint. Amen? The happiness this world, this world never fulfills. It never satisfies. It always lets us down. But when we truly are remaining in the vine, when we are connected to the life and love of Jesus, not only will we bear much fruit, fruit that remains, but He says that we will experience full joy, complete Joy. Jesus promises nothing less than His own joy filling us to completion so that we overflow. 1 Peter 1.8 calls it inexpressible and glorious joy. When we are connected to the vine, we bear lasting fruit. We glorify the Father. We receive complete joy. And finally, we experience answered prayer. So we're back to prayer. As I said, it's both a way we remain in the vine and it's a product of it. It's like a circle. 
We receive Christ's Word. In response to that, we pray as God's Word shapes and guides our requests so that we're seeking first His kingdom and we're praying according to God's will. And God hears those prayers and He joyfully responds. And He answers according to His Word. So let me ask you this morning, if you're not seeing answered prayer in your life, and I'm not saying that every prayer we pray is going to be answered the way we want. That's not what I'm saying. But if you find that your prayers are powerless, how's your connection to the vine? Are you just going through the motions? Is it just a habit, a ritual, or is prayer, does it flow from the life and love of Jesus filling your heart and your mind? Is it guided and shaped by God's Word? Same goes for joy. If you're not experiencing joy in your Christian life, how's your connection to the vine? Are you spending time with God in His Word, in prayer? If you don't feel like you're glorifying the Father, if you feel like you're not bearing fruit in your life, check your connection to the vine. Maybe this morning you need to recommit yourself to being a branch in the vine. You need to recommit yourself to being connected to Jesus and spend time daily in His Word and in prayer. Listen, you can't improve any relationship without communication, right? When I counsel people and I do premarital counseling, we take a whole session to talk about communication. It's a key. The same is true for our relationship with God. You can't expect to have a better relationship with God if you don't spend time in His Word and in prayer. Maybe this morning you need to look at how well and willing you're obeying Jesus and loving other people. Are you loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and seeking to live out what His Word says? I'm not saying you're going to get it right every time. But is that your heart's desire? Is that what you're leaning into every day? How are you doing at loving other people? Not just as yourself, right? The Old Testament says love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus gives us a higher standard. We're to love our neighbor as He loves us. Jesus loves you a whole lot better than you love yourself. Amen? That's how we're to love other people. How well are you loving others? Maybe this morning again, you need to rededicate yourself as a branch connected to the vine. Commit yourself to spend time in God's Word and prayer, to worship God in spirit and truth, to step out in faith to say yes and serve God as the way He leads you, to give without expecting anything back, to love even your enemies. To forgive as God has forgiven you. That's what it means to be connected to the vine and bear fruit. This altar is going to be open if you need to come and to deal with God. Maybe there's something in your life He needs to prune out and you've been holding on to it. Come and let it go. Or maybe this morning your issue is that you've never been connected to the vine. You've never given your life to Jesus. You've never confessed your sin and put your trust in what Jesus did on the cross for your salvation. If you've never done that, you are a branch piled up on the ground ready for the fire. But God doesn't want you to stay that way. Jesus died on the cross so that you could be connected to Him, so that His life and love could flow through you. But you've got to step out in faith and put your trust in Him. Would you do that this morning? Whatever God's Spirit is speaking to you, would you stand? Let's pray together. We're going to sing. And I hope that you will respond in obedience today. Father, thank You for being the gardener. Thank You for being the one who gave us the vine, the true vine, Jesus, that we can be connected to and experience Your life. Life abundant and free here and life eternal in the world to come. 
Father, we know sometimes we need to be pruned. And Lord, like myself, there, there are things in our lives, Lord, that we need You to prune out, that get in the way, that distract us. Not necessarily bad things, even things that are good things, but we, we elevate them to a place that they don't belong. And they keep us from being as fruitful as You would have us to be, God. Prune our hearts and our minds. And help us to focus on what truly matters to bear lasting fruit for Your kingdom, to glorify Your name, to experience complete and full joy, and to know that when we pray to You, You hear and You answer. Father, whatever You're speaking to our hearts today, may we be obedient to You, to rededicate our lives, to join this church, to give our hearts to Jesus for the first time. May we move as Your Spirit leads us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.